Amen. Good morning, everybody. Good to see you here this morning. We are so glad that you are here uh, today. Hey, did you have a good Christmas? Okay, seven of you. Good. Did you have a good Christmas? Good. Okay, good. You know what? Even if you didn't, that's okay. That's okay. I know a lot of times this time of year, everybody just kind of go around and you're supposed to be happy and put that smile on your face and everything is supposed to be great. It's okay if it's not. You know, I I would rather have somebody come up to you here at worship and they say, how was your Christmas or how are you doing this morning? And instead of saying, fine, I'd rather have you say, okay, it's kind of a depressing week, kind of lonely. Life's really hard right now. If it's true, I mean, don't lie, but if, if, if that's the case for you, that, that's fine. Everybody's welcome here. We want you to know that and that God sees you this morning right where you're at. You're, you're not here by accident and he sees you right where you are with whatever's going on in your heart and mind this morning. I know it's, it's hard to get your mind around, but he knows you better than you know yourself. So think about that for a second. Right? That'd blow your mind. He knows you better than you know yourself but he refuses to leave you that way. God has some amazing things in store for you. He has some amazing things in store for us as a church community. We we had a pretty incredible 2014. We built out a used car dealership, and now we're sitting here in it, right? Praise God, absolutely. Pretty, Pretty amazing year. Pretty awesome year, but you know what? I think the best is yet to come. I think God's looking down on us this morning saying, oh, we're just getting started. I think the fun is just getting started. Now that we're here, now that we can use this building as a tool, now, now we can go. We're not here to stay, we're here to go. And God's going to do some pretty incredible things through us. And I don't know about you, but I never get tired of watching God change people's lives. Amen? I mean, that's what he's doing here. That's what's going on. So we're excited about that. As we get started today, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask, I, I got so excited preparing for the message today and just, you know, thinking about all of you here today. I need a little extra time to, to get a few of my chores done, and I'm just cleaning up some of my Christmas decorations. Is that okay if I just pack up my tree quick here this morning? Some of you are like, no, preach. No, I got, I got some stuff to finish up. I, my wife and I, we've had a, a few different trees, and, you know, we're, we're going to tear down all this, you know, here uh, in a little bit. Have you torn down your Christmas decorations yet? Yeah, it's, it's, it's Christmas is over, people. Let's, let's move on, okay? So, see, it just pops out like that, you know, and just kind of, yeah, makes it pretty easy, right? And the the lights are already attached. So, you know, by this time, I'm sure all the relatives have gone home and you're starting to take your Christmas decorations down. You've got a lot of leftovers in the fridge. You can just blend them all up and eat them. That's one way of doing it, (laughs) right? Uh, I'm guessing your Christmas card letter is out by now. If not, like us, it's going to be a New Year's letter or maybe when we get to it, a Valentine's letter or St. Patrick's Day letter or whatever. Probably most of your relatives have gone home. You're starting to take down the stockings, right? Your crazy relatives have gone home too. And, uh, you know, at a certain point, you just got to take everything down and move on because really Christmas is over. And at the end of the day, Christmas just goes back in the box and it's done. And now we can move on, right? Because Christmas is over. Or not. Like to get you a little riled up here. Someone's like, "No, no, I want to, I want to hang on to the hope and the peace and the joy and the, the love that I felt and the goosebumps that I felt." Right? Just a few days ago, wherever you celebrated Christmas Eve, maybe it was here, maybe it was somewhere else. You held that candle and you sang "Silent Night," and I know that you got goosebumps because you get them every year, don't you? 
and you feel that feeling, that mountaintop experience, and you felt so close to God, and now you're sitting here and you're going, okay, now what? That's kind of the main question after Christmas is, now what? I had this mountaintop experience. I felt really close to God. I was holding my candle and singing Silent Night, but I wonder if the more important question is not what did you do on Christmas Eve. The question is what did you do on December 26th and 27th and 28th and 29th and tomorrow morning when you go back to work? What does Christmas mean for Monday morning? What does Christmas mean for Wednesday afternoon? When you're back in the grind and you went from the mountaintop back into the valley of life, what's next? Are we going to stop here and, 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 and dwell in Christmas or are we going to somehow be able to take the joy and the peace and love that we experience on Christmas and be able to experience that the rest of the year? How are we going to respond to the gift that we have received? You remember this short little passage that really sums up the Christmas story from Luke chapter 2. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And I know that, they, that was the angel said that to the shepherds, but what if you just kind of closed your eyes for a second? Don't fall asleep on me. Just close your eyes. And what if you just imagined... A host of angels showing up here this morning and looking right at you. Not at everybody, not at the crowd, but at you and saying, Today, in the city of David, a Savior has been born unto you. And then insert your name. You. Okay, you can open your eyes. I hope that that feels a little bit more personal. I hope that that feels a little bit more poignant, like it's for you. Christmas was for you. So how do we not miss the point and let one more Christmas just go by? Well, what we love to do is we love to celebrate the Christmas story, and then we love to just hop on and move on to January and set our New Year's resolutions, and then they're over by January 7th. How do we stay in Christmas a while longer. We miss these stories. If you have your Bibles, open up not to Luke 2, but to Matthew 2. That's where our reading is today. Or your phones or whatever, just tweet about the sermon if you're going to tweet. But get your Bible on your phone, grab a Bible. There's ones in the back, and the ushers just wave your hand, and the ushers can grab you one if you need one. But we're going to be in Matthew chapter 2. How much do you know about the wise men? How many wise men were there? Just yell it out. <laughs> we don't know. There's a lot we don't know about the wise men, and yet this is a story that kind of sits between Jesus was born, and then 12 years later, we read in the Bible, Jesus was in the temple at 12 years old as a little boy. Like, what happened? Those of you that have kids, wouldn't that be kind of neat if they went from infant to age 12? Eh, maybe not. I don't know. But that's what happens in the Bible. So what happens in the middle? We get this story of the Magi. The Bible never says there was three. Their names were not Curly, Moe, and Larry. I hate to break it to you. And they probably didn't show up at the manger the same time that Jesus was there and all the shepherds were there. It makes a cute manger scene, but it's not biblical. Okay? Sorry. Burst your bubble again, right? What do we know about the Magi? Well, let's check it out. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. It says this. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw a star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. 
Now, has it ever dawned on you that you kind of look at the manger scene and you go, I, that's, this, it's in the story, but I just, it's there every year. I just don't know a lot about it. The only thing that I really knew about the Magi until I really looked into this was growing up, everybody wanted to be the Magi in the kids' Christmas program at church because you got to wear your bathrobe and a Burger King crown in church. And that was pretty awesome. That's about all I knew about the wise men. But maybe there's something more to it than that. There's a lot we don't know about them, but what do we know is that they were clearly motivated because they came a long way. Tradition says that they came from this land called Parthia that was near ancient Babylon. Babylon is way in the east, way in the east. And at first they came to Jerusalem and then they went to Bethlehem. That's a journey of thousands of miles. Okay, they didn't hop in the SUV or the Suburban or whatever and cruise and stop at Casey's along the way. This was on camels, most likely, or donkeys in the desert. Probably camels because they are more expensive. Kind of the upgrade, the luxury vehicle of the day. They were clearly motivated, all because they had followed the star that the prophets promised would lead them to the Messiah. And when they arrived, it's like they just knew. Like you read on in the story... And here's these magi, these pretty wealthy, rich guys that had it all. And we find them bowing down in worship. And they brought gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh that were fit for a king. And they fell on their knees and they worshipped him with this deep sense of awe as if they had encountered God himself. Something so epic and yet so intimate all at the same time, too. For these magi, the sight of Jesus is the most beautiful thing that they have ever seen, and it means way more than one holiday, one day a year. It's life-altering for them. It's life-changing. And so clearly there's a lot more going on in this story than just a glorified baby shower. Ladies, how many of you have received gold, frankincense, or myrrh for your baby shower? Probably not, right? There's a lot more going on here. There is a magnitude to the story that we're going to miss if we just skip over it. So to understand what's going on here, we understand that Jesus is God. God became flesh. But to understand the distance traveled and the magnitude of this story, go back to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. We, we looked at this passage on Christmas Eve, but I want to look at it in a new light Today, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, John chapter 1, verse 3, through him all things were made, and without him nothing was made that has been made. I think John is trying to make a point here. This Christmas story doesn't begin in a manger. It begins in the beginning with a God that is way bigger and more marvelous than our minds can ever comprehend. The giver of life, holy and completely other, bigger and more powerful than anything that we could ever imagine, holding the world and the galaxies in the palm of his hand. God says, let there be light. God says, let there be planets. God says, let there be stars. Bing, 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 right? You might think, oh, that's cute, you know, cute little stars and everything like that. Do you understand who we're dealing with here? This is God. This is God. Skip down a few more verses to verse 14. The word, that same God, Jesus, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only 
who came from the Father full of grace and truth. God himself became flesh, the creator of the universe, the planets, the galaxies, the stars, all of life, the God who holds all things together, the infinite became intimate. And in just the first 14 verses of John, we encounter a God who is both epic, everybody say epic, no, say it like you mean it. Epic, epic. and intimate. intimate. Epic and intimate. And I believe there's something that, that resonates deep in our souls about Christmas because we long, we long for things that are epic and things that are intimate. There's something deep in our souls about Christmas that resonates with us beyond doorbusters or or Christmas lights or food or football or even eggnog. Eggnog, think about that for a second. Why in the world would you ever drink something with nog in the name? That just, I don't, that's an aside. We long for something that's much deeper and I think this is why Christmas gets to it because it's epic and it's intimate. And that is the very nature of God. So first of all, it might help if we just define our terms a little bit here. Do you know what the word epic means? Well, I did a little research here to the great theologian, Mr. Webster, and this is what we understand the word epic to be. Thinking about the Christmas story, usually centered upon a hero in which a series of great achievements or events is narrated in elevated style, like Homer's Homer's Iliad is an epic poem. Another definition is heroic, majestic, impressively great, of unusually great size or extent. Now, I would like to propose that the Christmas story gives the word epic a whole new name. I would say, for me personally, you can have your Hunger Games, you can have your Lord of the Rings trilogy, you can have your Star Wars, you can have all those things. I'll take the baby in a manger any day. Now, why is that, you might ask? The, the, the baby in the manger, John, you, you just said that epic is a great achievement, heroic, majestic, or impressively great. There is nothing impressively great about a little plastic toy manger scene that you wrap up in bubble wrap and you put it back in the shoebox and you put it away in your closet for another year. What is so epic, what is so impressively great about that? Unless you look a little bit deeper. Look a little bit deeper into this story. Who were the magi? Astronomers. Astronomers. Which means the passion and the driving force of their life was the stars, was the galaxies, was understanding how in the world could something so vast come into being the epic nature of God. And so I was thinking this week, how could I possibly convey the glory of God that these magi must have been caught up in when they saw the star of Bethlehem that night? What did the magi know about stars that we don't that would have absolutely captivated them about Christmas? So what we're going to do is we're going to have a little science lesson here today. Those of you that haven't gone back to school yet, I'm sorry. We're going to have a little science lesson about the stars and the planets 
and the galaxies. This is a speaker named Louis Giglio, and he's just going to walk you through really quick. Pay attention to what you see on the screen, and this is kind of a, a map of the different dimensions and sizes of the stars in the galaxy compared to the size of Earth. And when you watch this, think about what did the wise men, what did the magi, what did these astronomers know that we don't know? Let's take a look. Psalm 19, verse 1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the skies proclaim the work of his hands. Could it be that when the magi, who maybe understood a fraction of that, but they had a glimpse, who understood a fraction of the grandness and the enormity of the solar system, which make up these galaxies, which God created and holds in the palm of his hand, when they realize that that same God who created that is now crying in a cradle in front of them, could it be that the only natural response was to fall on their knees and worship? Maybe like nobody else, they understood the epic becoming intimate. Now, I, I look at that, I look at that, that map of the stars and the sizes of everything, and I try to get my mind around the millions, those were just a few, but I try to get my mind around the millions and trillions of stars in the galaxy that dwarf any resemblance to our planet. I came across this fact, think about this, you could fit that, that, that second to the last star, that Musifi one, you could fit 2.6 trillion Earths inside of that star. That's a lot if you're counting at home. And that's not even the biggest star. In fact, astronomers have found an even bigger star. The biggest one that we know of is that last one called Canis Majoris. And I'm not an astronomer, but I think that that means in plain English, English, the big dog star or something like that. Think about it this way. This may help. Just to give you an approximate size. If the earth was a golf ball, if the earth was a golf ball, that last star, Canis Majoris, would be the height of Mount Everest. Okay? If that wasn't enough, might be a good thing to try sometime if you're feeling like you're kind of a big deal to maybe go climb to the top of Mount Everest and open up your parka and take out your golf ball and see how that feels in the grandness and the epic nature of God. You could fit seven quadrillion Earths inside Canis Majoris. If the Earth were a golf ball, we're talking about this biggest star, Canis Majoris. Now, if the Earth were a golf ball, it would be enough. You would need enough golf balls to cover the state of Texas completely 22 inches deep. That's a lot of golf balls. You could fill this entire building with golf balls a few times. 
Now, I don't know about you, but when I think about those things, like, oh, John, that's neat, that's science, that's great and everything, but I think about that in light of Christmas, and I, I think about the size and the scope of that, this shrinking feeling comes over me, and it's not a bad shrinking feeling, but a good shrinking feeling, because sin, it has a way of shrinking God in our minds and puffing ourselves up in our own estimation. And just a, just a glance at that, just a glance into the universe of everything that God has made, it resizes everything in our lives in a heartbeat. And you realize that Christmas is not about just a cute little baby that I can say, oh, I'm going to just kind of celebrate Christmas and then move on with my life and do whatever I want. Christmas is about a God who is unrivaled, uncontested in all power and might, a power and glory, and there is nothing like him in all of creation. Amen? Don't, don't miss that. We are the small ones, not him. He is epic. And so when the Magi are falling on their knees to worship before God, before Jesus, I wonder if they're looking at Mary and thinking inside, Mary, you have no idea who you're dealing with here. You have no idea who you're dealing with. The, the baby... That created, those, that created the star that led us to you is now nursing at your chest. The God who created galaxies full of stars like that is now listening to your heartbeat. And if that fact ever gets old for you, Stay in Christmas a while. Be good for you. Stay in Christmas a while. I don't know about you, but I think it puts things in perspective. The baby that created the star that led us here is now with you, and we are undone, the Magi must have said. And I wonder if we fail to grasp the grandness and the epic nature of Christmas because you and I find it so difficult to be in awe, to be undone by God, to let ourselves be wrapped up in something much bigger, something out of this world that the only thing left to do is worship. And I would propose that we sort of lose the heart of Christmas when we lose our appetite for the greatness and the grandness of God. Because just like the Magi, we, I think we struggle sometimes to let, to let ourselves be undone. And the difficulty is we love to control everything in our lives, specifically around New Year's. And we make our lists and everything. We feel like we're in control because we can make a list of everything that we want to do. We love to have it all together, or at least appear like we do. We love to be on top of things, and whether it's work or home or managing our schedules. And, and don't get me wrong, there's nothing wrong with responsibility and meeting deadlines. Those things are good. But is there any room in your life for things that you can't control? Is there any room in your life for things that you just, when you're down here, one of the kids in the front row went, whoa. When's the last time in your life you went, whoa, at anything? Or is life just practical? God wants to expand your view of him this Christmas. 
Because we do this in our spiritual lives as well. We, 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 we work, work it in our schedule to, to come to worship, and we put in our 15 minutes of quiet time, check that off the list. You know, we, we get up in the morning so we can answer our three Bible study questions so that we can go to our small group that's from 7 to 8. Not 7 to 8.30, but from 7 to 8. And meaning, meanwhile, God's going, Look! Do you understand who you're dealing with here? That's nice. You want to have your cute little Bible study from 7 to 8. But I'm the God that created the galaxies. I don't want to just be a cute little tiny baby in a manger scene. I want to be the driving force and passion of your life. Amen? I think that's God's heart for us. This morning, what if God wanted to overwhelm you? And what if the God who created the galaxies wants to just come in and interrupt your God time and just blow your imagination of who he is? What if you were not even close to being composed, but instead you were undone? We've all felt that at one point or another. Have you ever been maybe here, maybe somewhere else in worship, and there's a, there's a certain song or, or a certain thing that God just seems to, to connect with you in, and you're just, and, and, and the only reasonable response is you just kind of raise your arms in worship, or you, you rock back and forth, or you close your eyes, or you look up, or you put your hands out, whatever, whatever that response is for you. And it's like in that moment that nothing else matters. Maybe that's a glimpse of what the Magi felt. As they just fall on their knees and worship. And kids get this. Kids don't worry about what's going on around them. Kids don't worry about other people's opinions. Most Sundays we have kids up here in the front that are dancing. If you came to our KQ Christmas program, right, I bet I'd never seen a shimmy uh, with some of these Christmas songs. Like they're, they're singing, Oh Little Town of Bethlehem. And these kids are going up here like... Oh, little town of Bethlehem, right? They don't care, but we do. Something inside of us goes, oh man, what if this person thinks I'm a little bit too serious about this worship thing? And to put it bluntly, who cares? Have you lost sight of who you're worshiping? There is nothing that we could ever do to come close to giving that kind of God that created the stars and the galaxies the kind of worship that he deserves. There is no response that is adequate, but we do the best we can. And God looks down and says, that's awesome. We have a hard time being undone. But somehow, we've equated being composed to being mature in our faith. We think that the people that kind of stand and worship and go, joy, unspeakable joy, an overflowing well, no tongue can tell. Because I don't want to get outside of my box. Being composed does not mean that you're mature spiritually. I think the kids that are dancing up here are more mature than I am spiritually sometimes because they've set aside the need to please. There's a song that Stephen Curtis Chapman, a Christian artist, wrote a while back, and I think in terms of us living our daily lives in light of this epic God, I think he sums it up like this, just to give you some images in your mind. 
of how we live small instead of living big. He writes, sometimes it's like I'm playing Game Boy standing in the middle of the Grand Canyon. Sometimes it's like I'm eating candy sitting at a gourmet feast. It's like I'm wading in a puddle when I should be swimming in the ocean. God, what's the deal with me? I know the time has come to wake up and see the glory. How do you keep Christmas at the center of your life throughout the whole year? Take time every single day to embrace the epic nature of God. Put down your cell phone and put on some music and worship. Get off the couch and go outside and explore some of God's creation. Do you know that there's actual scientific studies that have made it to Capitol Hill? There's multiple books out right now about nature deficit disorder in kids. That there are, there are psychological and scientific studies that show that, that depression and all these sorts of things can be linked to kids spending too much time indoors, that they're not in creation enough. And I believe it, because I don't know about you, but when I look at that, that video, something in my soul goes, and when I lay on the couch all day and stare at the wall, something goes, is there room in your life for the epic nature of God? Turn off the TV and spend some time in prayer. Put your phone down and look around you. When we let ourselves be undone, we open ourselves up to experience not only the epic nature of God, but the intimacy of God, who is closer than we could ever imagine. The same God that we've spent most of today exploring the vastness of is the same God who comes as close to you and I as his infant head was to Mary's chest. Can you imagine being Mary... And in some way, maybe understanding how big God is. And grasping the idea that maybe she was the first person to actually hear and feel the heartbeat of God. Wow. What do you suppose it sounded like? I don't know, but it beats for you. He came for you. This God moved heaven and earth to be with you, not so we could just understand how big and vast and epic he is, but we could understand how intimate he wants to be with you. We have had a lot, and I mean that we have been blessed with a lot of new babies in our church community this year. And I like to watch uh, those of you that are new parents, sometimes in the back when we shut the sliding door, it's like parent row back there. And you look back and all the parents are bobbing to the same rhythm with their babies. And I love to watch new parents with their kids because they're just enamored with them. And it's almost like just that kid fits perfectly in those arms. And those of you that have kids know what I'm, know what I'm t- saying here. And I remember the first time that I held our son Caleb in my arms. And it's just like he just kind of nestles in right there. And I think that God is saying to you this morning, that's how close I want to be with you. Every single day of the year. Not just on Christmas, but every single 
day. The God who looks at Canis Majoris and holds it in the palm of his hand is the same God that is so close to you and knows everything that you're going through today. The same God that formed the stars formed you. A God who is epic and yet so intimate. And if we're going to live out the intimacy of God, if we're going to live out the incarnation of Jesus coming to this earth more than just once a year, we can't stay where we are. We have to go to people just like Jesus went to people. I heard this quote this week from a author says this, the way that we love each other today, the way that we love each other today lets everybody know that the baby in the manger wasn't just a decoration for us. So when people look at your lives these next few weeks, what will they say about who Jesus is? That it was a holiday or that it's the very center and the number one priority in your life. It seems like every year there's this big push. Keep Christ in Christmas. Don't write X dash must. It's keep Christ in Christmas. It's all about Jesus. And yes, it's all about Jesus. But usually this whole campaign to keep Christ in Christmas is about arguing our opinions and making sure everybody else knows that we as Christians are right and everybody else is wrong, but when I look at this God who wasn't afraid to come close and to be intimate and to get messy, I wonder if we keep Christ in Christmas this year by feeding the hungry. I wonder if the way to keep Christ in Christmas was to is, is to mentor children, is to welcome refugees, is to forgive those people that have wronged you, is to care for the ill, is to love our enemies. Maybe that's how we keep Christ in Christmas. That sounds like a great plan for 2015 for us as a church, amen? But it all starts with getting connected to this baby who is our Savior. We do what we do because we follow Jesus who is both epic and intimate. And where I want to land today is this thought. Why is it epic and intimate? Why do we need God to be vast and great and beyond our wildest imaginations? And why do we need the baby? Why do we need both? And I think it's something to do with this. (laughs) If God was only epic, we would assume that he's too far away and too out of touch. And if he was only intimate, we might think that we could control him and make him who we want him to be. But he's not. He's both. Which makes him holy and worthy of our worship and closer than you could ever imagine to you this morning. That makes him God. So what better way to end 2014 and begin the new year than pausing before we rush out of Christmas, than pausing to worship God for who he is.